Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Well, good morning. It's so good to to be with you. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to to turn to Luke chapter 12. We're continuing in our series, A Beautiful Narrative. And uh, that's the passage this morning, Luke 12, verses 35 to 48. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have Bibles in the back. We, We are using a Uh, a different translation than maybe you're used to. So if you need the CSB, you can raise your hand and and Yogi will get a copy of God's word to you. The title of today's message is Staying Ready for His Return. Stay ready for His Return. See, at the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, Real opposition has finally set in at the end of chapter 11. And so Jesus, as he's on his way with his disciples, is essentially handing off the mission to them because they're on their way to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, what awaits him is his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so in the passage we're in today, Jesus wants them to be ready. Why? Because after he ascends, he's going to come back. And so Jesus wants us as his disciples to be ready. That's why he says in verse 40, you also be ready. Why? Because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, just like the arrival of a newborn when labor starts, you don't know exactly when Jesus is coming, but he is coming. That he is coming is an essential part of our Christian faith. Not when, but that he is coming. It's certain. And so we need to be ready as his disciples. Now, just like when we know retirement's around the corner, or we need to provide for our kids in the future for their education, we need to be frugal now. Or if we know, for all of us, death is coming. And so we need to put our wills in order because we want things to be put in order, whether it be our assets, our children, whatever it is, we need to do those things now. In the same way, a future certain reality impacts how we live now. And so what Luke wants to show us in the passage today is that Christ's return in the future, and this is our big takeaway, Christ's return in the future motivates wise living in the present. Christ's return in the future motivates wise living in the present. And so as good listeners, the question you should be asking is, how should we be living then as disciples? What does wise living look like? Well, Jesus tells us right away. It's this, we wait with alertness. We wait with alertness. Look with me at verse 35. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet 
so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, and then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. And then verse 40, we've already read, you also be ready because the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we wait with alertness. See, verse 35, Jesus gives us two images that really summarizes the entire passage. He says, be ready for service. It's this idea of gird your loins, be ready for action. It's a continual state of readiness. Have your lamps lit. Jesus is saying, even when everyone else is asleep because it's the middle of the night, we need to be awake. We need to be awake and ready because Jesus could come back at any time. See, Jesus gives us this image of a master of a house who's away at a wedding party. Uh, a couple months ago, I had the, the privilege of being a part of my sister's wedding, not just attending it, but helping speak at it. My whole family was involved. The kids were walking down. Uh, Natalie was part of the, the, the bridal party. And even with all of that involvement, the wedding really only took half a day. The weddings at that time were nothing like that. It could take days. And Jermaine and Aletha, you guys know, you went to a, a wedding a week ago for two days, but the wedding lasted four. The weddings in those days could last up to a whole week. And so the servants of the house, this wasn't a time off for them because they could, the, the master could come home at any time. And, and when the master came, the servants were expected to have the house in order and to open it up and welcome the master back in. See, sometimes the return of Christ can feel like a myth for us, whether it be because it seems delayed or life is so good we have no desire for the life that's to come or life is so bad and hard right now we, we, we're despairing that life could get better in the future. So it can feel like a myth. But the word to us is that this isn't a myth. Jesus has promised. Jesus hasn't failed any of his promises yet, and he's not going to start right now. He's going to keep his promise, and he's coming back. And the way we stay alert and ready for when he does come back is by reminding ourselves of his promises, by reminding ourselves that he will come back. He is faithful, and he will keep his promises to us. And when we do believe that Jesus is coming back, it changes everything. It affects how we parent. It affects how we handle our finances. It affects how we manage our time, whether the things that we watch, listen, or commit to. Because when we believe Jesus is coming back, it changes all of those things because when he comes back, we want Jesus to find us living wisely. And when he does return, look what he does. Verse 37. Blessed will be those servants the, the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. Like what? Like, do you see what's happening in that passage? 
It's like Steve Jobs using an Android. It makes no sense. Jesus is coming back. The king of the universe comes back for his servants, but what he does is then serves them. The king comes and serves his servants. When Jesus comes, what he does in the future shouldn't surprise us because what he does for us in the future is actually just what he has already done for us in the gospel. Jesus has told us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus continues to serve his people, and that should blow our minds, that the king will come to claim his people and to to give us a meal. See, the conduct of Jesus and the example that he gives should tell us a few things. One, that serving is an honorable action. Serving is honorable. In that culture and even in our culture today, serving is not seen as something honorable or dignified. Those who are higher up expect those who are lower to serve them. But what Jesus tells us is that serving is honorable and that those who serve are worthy of honor. And so a practical thing for us, every week we gather, if you see individuals serving, honor them. Say thank you. Jesus says that that they are being faithful. Second, the example of Jesus shows us that leadership and serving are not in conflict. In fact, Jesus shows us that leadership is displayed through service. Leaders aren't afraid to put on work clothes. In fact, when Jesus comes, and he finds his servants alert. He puts on his work clothes, seats us at the dinner table, and gives us a meal. And it will be the most incredible meal, what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be a day of incredible joy. And Isaiah gives us a picture of this in chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. He says this, On the mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast, a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. You know, Isaiah's probably went to a, a good steak dinner, and so it's on his mind right now. That's what it's going to be like. On that day, it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Because when Jesus comes and seats us at his table, it means that death is no more, sin has been defeated, and Satan has been crushed. And we will feast with endless joy with our Savior. That's why Jesus says in verse 37, blessed, happy are those servants. Jesus is giving us a new beatitude. Blessed are those servants that he finds alert. This is the promise of what Jesus will do for us when he comes back. And that should motivate us towards wise living. But if we aren't prepared, if we aren't alert, Jesus gives us a warning. Look at verse 39. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Jesus is essentially saying It's too late to lock your door after you've been robbed. You need to be prepared. 
If, if we aren't prepared like this homeowner and the thief comes, we will suffer great loss. Our preparedness by wise living, by staying alert for when Jesus comes back will prevent us from losing out on the reward that he will give to us. And we, we see that revo- reward in verse 41. Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord said then, who then is this faithful and sensible manager that his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions." Jesus clarifies for us in this second parable that the the blessed, happy servant in verse 37 is the same servant in verse 43 that the master finds, what? Doing his job, serving faithfully. That means for us that wherever God has placed you, whether you are a student, an employee, an employer, a husband, a wife, you're volunteering somewhere, God expects us to do our job well, and he's watching us, not to see if we will fail, but as our heavenly father, he's watching us, his children, and saying, make me proud. Jesus wants us to be doing our job well, and when he comes back, he wants, us to, he wants to find us doing that job well, wherever he has placed us, but especially in our care for one another in the household of God. And you might be asking, where are you getting that? Well, look at verse 42 again. The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them their allotted food at the proper time? Notice that the faithful servant is left to care for and feed the other servants of the master's household while the master is away. Isn't it interesting that what the master does when he returns in the first parable is what he expects us as his servants to be doing while we wait for him. What Jesus will do in serving us, he expects as, our, as his servants to be doing right now for one another while we wait for him. See, that's our ultimate goal in serving one another, Christ-likeness, that when Jesus comes back, he sees us looking more and more like himself, that we reflect the person and the character of Jesus to others in his household. And we do that, according to this passage, as we serve one another in the household of God. See, that's the, the primary place Jesus says we're supposed to be found serving one another. The New Testament is filled with these commands called the one another's. Because our, our relationship with one another, the way we relate to one another is so important to God. Why? Because as we fulfill those commands, it maintains and protects our unity. It shows love to one another, and it makes the gospel tangible to the watching culture. Now, I want to give a word of encouragement. There's so many people in our church that are doing this so well. God is saying to you, you are being faithful. You're being faithful, so keep going. It might get hard at times, and it might get weary. You might start getting burnt out, but the Lord says, keep being faithful. But notice also in verse 42, 
that the servant is a manager of all the other household servants. He's left in charge. He's given a leadership role. And so this is especially a word to elders and deacons on how they should serve the church and how they should lead. They're called to manage the household of God in their ministries and finances, to care for those in the house, both spiritually and physically, and make sure, as Pastor Marv has told me before, that the saints make it home safely. This is another reminder that leadership in God's eyes is serving one another. It's not a way to get position, power, or prominence. God expects us as leaders to serve those who are in our care because ultimately we're all servants of his household. And when Jesus returns and finds us doing our job well, he says that he will richly bless us. Look again at verse 44. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. The faithful are rewarded with greater responsibility in the future. They're going to participate in the joy and the glory of Jesus for all of eternity. This promise of reward in the future should motivate us to live wisely now, that we stay alert, that we faithfully work wherever God has placed us. But just like before, there's a warning that if Jesus comes back and finds us being unfaithful, look at verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. See, the unfaithful servant doesn't believe Jesus is actually coming back. And because of his unbelief, it leads him then to completely reject and disobey the commands that were given to him. He doesn't care for the people in his care. Instead, he beats them. Instead of making sure they're taken care of, he eats all of the food and gets drunk and leaves nothing for them. They're left starving. He's power-hungry, abusive, and self-indulgent. But what this unfaithful servant doesn't expect happens. Jesus comes back because he's faithful. He will come back. And when he does, verse 46, he will cut him off from the household and places him with the unfaithful, literally meaning the unbelievers. See, the servant's attitude towards the master, lack of love for the master, and a lack of love for the other servants exposes that the servant was never really part of the household to begin with. What Jesus tells us in this difficult passage is that he's going to bring all things to light. This is what he says at the beginning of chapter 12. We've skipped ahead a little bit, but verse Two in chapter 12 says this, there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in an ear in a private room will be proclaimed from the rooftop. Jesus is going to expose all things done in darkness in his light. And Jesus is warning us that there's people who are part of the church 
who might even think that they are believers, but because they have no love for Jesus and no love for the, the saints, they will be exposed for their unbelief. And Jesus tells us, and the, the positive thing we need to take out of this is that Jesus tells us one of the evidences of saving faith and saving grace in our lives is our love for one another. That's how we can test to see if we're in. We need to keep checking our lives for that and our hearts for that. That's been a theme for the last couple of weeks. We need to check our hearts. Are these attitudes, are these things that God calls for at work in our lives? We need to check our hearts continually. Are we loving the saints? Are we growing in our love for the saints? Now remember again that the unfaithful servant here that Jesus describes is the manager of the household. He's left in charge. This is a, a sober warning to leaders in the church who are abusing their power and are living self-indulgently. Jesus is saying that you are hurting God's people, that Jesus deeply cares for, that you, they may think that they're getting away with it, but Jesus will expose these false teachers in the final judgment. But what we don't want to miss is how overflowing this passage is with the grace of God. Did you notice that Jesus gives the, the warning now before he comes back? That every waking moment before he returns is an opportunity by his grace to turn towards him in repentance. See, we may think that God is delaying, but what Peter tells us in his epistle is we shouldn't count his, his, his patience as slowness, but that he is being long-suffering with the world that they might turn to him in repentance, that they might experience salvation. Every moment until Jesus comes back is a fountain of his grace to us because we can turn to him in repentance. Now, now, this doesn't mean, though, that we just simply overlook bad leaders because when Jesus comes back, he'll deal with it. Jesus gives us a biblical pattern, Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5, that we should, we should um, address sin, that we should seek their repentance, and overflowing with grace, we need to restore one another when we do repent and remove if we don't. I encourage you to, to listen to the message by my pastor Marv from our church series on church discipline. This goes into a lot more detail on that process, but there's a biblical process to follow. But it's also a word to all of us because it, it should inform us on how we should strive to lead if God ever by his grace puts us in positions of leadership. The things that we need to avoid and the things that we should strive to become like because this is what leadership looks like. Now the language that's used in these last couple of verses can seem harsh, that he cut him to pieces. It's a, it's a figurative language that Jesus is using, but ultimately it shows us God's incredible love for his people. See, Jesus so identifies with his body, his people, the church, that harm done against his body, the church, He's not going to let injustice like that slide. Remember what he says to Paul when he appears to him on the road to Damascus. Paul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus so loves his people. So take encouragement in that. That though you might be facing hardship, trials, persecution, maybe even, 
But at the end of the day, Jesus, the judge of all the earth, will do right. He's not gonna let things slide. God is perfectly just, and he will do right by us. But Jesus goes on. Look at verse 47 to the end again. At, and that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. Jesus tells us that the way we will be judged, whether it be for reward or for punishment, will be based on our response to the will of God as revealed in his word. And the degree of that judgment will be in proportion to how much we knew. That's why he says in verse 48, where he ends, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. The more we know, the more we will be responsible for. Now when you hear that, there might be a temptation then to stay away from the word. But the wisest thing that we can do is to be in the word, to study the word. See, God hasn't left us without a word trying on our own wisdom to figure out what he wants from us. But in his divine grace and providence, he has given us a word in written form that we might study. Jesus wants us to be good stewards of his word because the scriptures contain all that we need to know pertaining to life and godliness. If we want to know how to live a life pleasing to God, we need to study his word. So we listen to God's word with eagerness. That means sit under the teaching and the preaching of God's word as, as much as you can. Read the word, whether it be on your own or in community. Come out to our weekly Bible study. Learn the word together, but also read other books by brothers and sisters who have studied the word and help explain it to us. But not just know the word. The Bible tells us to seek to obediently apply the word in our lives. The Bible makes it absolutely clear to us that we can't just be hearers of God's word, but we need to do God's word. Because when we do God's word, we're showing that, that when Jesus returns, that we have been living wisely. And when we live wisely, we show that we're prepared for God's return. And when he returns and finds us living wisely, he calls this blessed. Happy are those servants that he finds alert. Happy are those servants that the master finds doing their jobs. When we're prepared and we're living wisely, we will be happy. Where do you stake your happiness? Jesus tells us how. Stay alert. Do your job. Because when we, when we do those things, we will be rewarded by him. We're going to be served by him. We're going to enjoy his, his, his presence forever. We will see him as he is in all of his glory. Keeping this future perspective in mind tells us how we should live now. Remember, 
Christ's return in the future motivates wise living now. Christ's return in the future motivates wise living now. Be alert, stay faithful. Let's pray. Father, in your grace, you have given us this word this morning. And at times we're... We don't understand why a particular passage lands on a particular Sunday, but you know. You know what your people need ultimately. You are feeding your people. So we pray that you would soften our hearts to receive what you have had, what you have given to us today. That you'd help us to stay alert, to remain faithful in the things that you've called us to do that you draw our hearts and our, our eyes to Jesus Christ, that we might look forward to his return. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.